Today, I am going to kind of continue uh, a conversation that we had last week. If you weren't here last week, and Lindsay and I uh, came back and just shared a little bit of what God had been speaking to us while we were on sabbatical, which if you weren't here last week, let me just again say thank you so much for giving us the gift of a sabbatical. Uh, we were gone from, from here on Sunday for nine Sundays. That has never happened in the history. I've never, even before I was a pastor, I've never missed nine Sundays. Uh, so that was a brand new thing in a lot of ways, but uh, was such a refreshing to us. And uh, we came back restored and replenished and excited for all that God has for us. And God began to speak to us, um, kind of a theme verse, I'll share it in just a minute, but began to speak to us a word. And, and oftentimes when God speaks to me, uh, I have to way out, God, is this something you want for me and, and just me alone? Is this something you want for me and Lindsay? Is this something you want for me and our family? Or is this even a grander thing of what you're wanting to do, not just in me, but maybe you want to do for us? And so this whole sabbatical, I've just felt like it was something for, for really for us. And then as I started getting to the end of it, I started really feeling this, um, this thing, really a burden from the Lord to say, I think this isn't just for you guys. I think this is for the grander church. And I'm not even saying just for our Savior's church. I think this is a message for the church as a whole and for the people uh, outside of the church. And so we, we talked last week about this idea of, of hurry. And so I, I read a book, this, this, um, this sabbatical, one of the books that I read is, is at the title of what I'm actually going to call this series. So I don't know how long this is going to go. We're going to just kind of flesh it out and see. Uh, as of right now, I know it would be at least probably three or four more weeks. But I read a book, and a lot of the stuff that I've, I've even gotten from God um, came a lot out of this book. Just God just began to speak to me, and then I would go and study, and then, then I would read, and I would study some more and go to the Word. And so um, it's from this book called The Ruthless. I think I have a, a picture of it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, it's this book right here by a guy named John Mark Comer. Um, if you would like to go, it's on Amazon. It's an incredible book. It's been probably one of my top three books I've ever read. Um, that's how impactful this book was for me. And uh, he shares in this book about uh, a time where he went and met with one of his mentors, Dallas Willard, and he asked Dallas Willard this question, what do I need to do to become the me that, I, that God has called me to be? And uh, Dallas a uh, answered back with this. This is what Dallas told him, and I, I have it now on the screen for you to see. He said, <clears throat> hurry is one of the greatest enemies of your spiritual life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so last week we talked about this idea of what does it look like for us to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. We, we live in a fast-paced culture. How many know this is the exact opposite of everything we live in right now? How many know we, we got fast Wi-Fi, fast cars, fast food, quick money? I mean, if, if it's not fast, it's almost like we don't even want it. Uh, slow is like a derogatory word. Y'all know like people, like when they talk real slow, you're like, man, that guy's slow. That's not a compliment. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like that guy's slow. Like that's not, you didn't say that like to encourage him. You said that because it was a derogatory thing. Like you need to speed some things, some things up. And so, um, so it's just been, we're, we're in a fast-paced culture, fast-paced life. Um, how many of you would say, just if you're being a little bit honest, would say that, that your weeks usually go pretty fast for the most part. You got a lot of stuff moving, lots of schools back in session. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Grateful for that in so many ways. Um, but even that can be fast. There's sports that are now kicking off and school functions and just so many things that can happen that are fast. And so in the midst of all of this, there's... Um, there is a, a doctor from the 1950s that diagnosed this. He was, a, he was a cardiologist, and he started seeing all of his cardiologist patients exhibiting these symptoms of great anxiety and great hurriedness, and he called it hurry sickness. And uh, last week, I gave us 10 questions to ask ourselves to see if we can diagnose if we have hurry sickness ourselves. You can go back and watch that message. I don't have time to do that because I have so much to, to share today. Um, but I think a lot of us do struggle with some hurry sickness. So in the midst of all the fast pace, in the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, Jesus invites us to a different pace. And so Matthew 11, 
I want everybody to read this one. We're going to put it up on the screen. Um, by the way, all of these notes are in our app. If you want to pull up our app, you can see these notes that are on there. Um, but Matthew 11 is an invitation to all of us that are exhausted, tired, burnout. You just feel like, oh, man, it's just, there's more stuff to do than time to do it. And, and Jesus says this. And Jesus says, come to me, all who are what? Weary. Come on, weary and carry heavy burdens. And you all just had heavy weeks. Just, man, it's a heavy week. And, and, and what's the promise? I'm going to give you rest. So, so here he says, so take my yoke upon you. You'd have to go back to the last week's message and, and learn a, b- a little bit about what that is. And here's, here's the invitation. Let Come on, we say this one again because this is where we're going today. Let, come on, let me teach you. Watch this. I believe we have allowed culture to teach us. I believe we've, we've allowed a broken world to teach us. And Jesus is inviting us to come to him because he wants to reteach us things that we've been taught the wrong way. And so let me teach you because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart. And here we go. Here's the promise again. You're going to what? You're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is, is light. So, Father, today we, <clears throat> we say yes to this invitation. God, in the midst of everything that's going on around us, not only just in, in our nation, in our culture, in our world, but maybe even in our own homes, maybe in our marriages, maybe in our workplaces, God, maybe even just in our own hearts, we want to come to you, and we want to learn from you. So God, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive all that you want to say today. God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have to gather together, to uh, worship together, and to lift your name above all other names. We praise, it, praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right. So if last week we talked about the pace of Jesus, today and probably for the weeks to come, I want to talk about the practices of Jesus. Last week we talked about how Jesus was not in a hurry. Everywhere Jesus went, he was busy. By the way, busy is not wrong. Busy is good. Busy means you have a lot to do. Nothing wrong with that. How many would define your life as busy. Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Many of you here. Busy is not wrong. Hurry is wrong. Busy is I have a lot to do. Hurry is I have too much to do, and so therefore I have to hurry. So we'll talk a little bit about this probably next week when we talk about limits and limitations and eliminations and simplifying our lives. But today, I want us to unpack some of the practices of Jesus. Last week, I, made, I said this line. If you didn't get a chance to write it down, here it is again. And that is that if you want to experience the life of Jesus, which I believe all of us do, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to experience the life, the peace, the joy, the hope that we see that flows out of Jesus, the ability to walk into very hard situations and have this inner calm and stillness inside of you, then you have to also learn how to do the things that Jesus did and look at how he did it. And I think Jesus didn't just come to set us free from sin. Jesus also came to model to us how to live in a life that is, in, a, in a world that is broken. He came to show us how to do that. And if you want to understand the lifestyle of Jesus, then you got to look at the life of Jesus. If you want to look at the life of Jesus, then you have to look at the Gospels of Jesus. The Gospels, as we know, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. These are the, the, the life of Jesus are found in these four. Now, these four Gospels are what you would call biographies. Biographies are uh, eyewitness News of the guys closest to him that got to watch the life of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they are the biographies of Jesus. Um, I don't know if any of you in here are biography readers. I haven't been much of a biography reader, but this sabbatical um, was one of the new things that I wanted to try to do was to read books outside of what I normally read. And so I picked up a biography called Burning in My Bones. It is a biography on Eugene Peterson. If you don't know who Eugene Peterson is, Eugene Peterson is the man who translated the Bible into the message translation. 
So if you've seen the message translation, that's Eugene Peterson. And it's been um, very life-giving to me to read the biography of this man and how he translated scripture. And he was a pastor for almost 35 years and his story. And, and so I got to read all about where he came from and his parents and his grandparents and what brought him to where he is and how he struggled as a pastor and his wins and was just so encouraging. And that's usually often why we read biographies. We read biographies because we want to we wanna learn from them. Sometimes we read biographies because we want to learn what not to do. We want to learn what to do. We want to, sometimes we want to emulate them. So we read a biography and it says, you know, X person went to this university to, to be this kind of doctor. And so we go, well, I'm going to go to X university so I can be that same kind of doctor. Or you read, you know, a biography of a guy who's, you know, very fit or something. And he talks about how he wakes up at 4 a.m. and eats seven egg yolks and goes and works out for an hour and a half. And you're like, I'm going to eat seven egg yolks and go work out. I don't know anybody who does that. But, you know, you, you read these biographies usually for the reason to learn about them, but oftentimes even to extract things from their life so you can uh, import them into your life. Here's the problem, though, is most people don't read the Gospels that way. Most people read the Gospels as um, good sermon illustrations, good stories, or maybe even just some life principles, but these four Gospels are a biography of the life of Jesus. They are the details of how Jesus lived. What would it be like if we not only looked at the, the Gospels as just good stories and good principles, but we were to really look at the life of Jesus and look at how he lived and go, maybe if that's how he lived, maybe, just maybe, what he modeled for us is meant for us. Everybody with me? Okay, so when we look at the, the model of Jesus or the practices of Jesus, then we see some things. You can call these spiritual disciplines. You can call these spiritual practices. You can call these habits, whatever you want to call them. People give them all different kinds of words. But I'm just going to go with practices, the practices of Jesus, uh, the habits of Jesus, the spiritual disciplines of Jesus, which, by the way, Jesus never commands us to do spiritual disciplines. There is no scripture that commands you to get up in the morning and have a quiet time. There is, there is no scripture that, that commands you to do certain things. Watch this. Jesus does not lead by command and control. He leads by example and invitation. You want to be a great leader, you don't lead by command and control. You lead by example and invitation. So Jesus would say, come to me. Follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Follow me, and I'm going to show you. I'm going to let me teach you a way of life. He didn't command like, hey, y'all need to get up every morning and spend time with my father. He did not do that. He showed them, which, by the way, could be a principle for us when it comes to parenting. What would it look like if it's not just commands and control, but what if it was example and invitation? That our kids want to be like us, not because we tell them something, but because they see something us they want to emulate. Are y'all with me? Oh, got quiet on that one. Okay, I'm sorry. Did I go too far already? Okay, sorry. All right. Sorry, not sorry. Um, so let's look at Jesus, and I want us to look today at one practice, one habit that I think if you don't get this one first, it really doesn't matter the next ones we're going to go into. Today, the title of my message is A Quiet Place in a Loud World. A Quiet Place in a Loud World. Luke chapter 4, let's go there. Luke chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1, says this. Then Jesus, now by the way, let me set this up just for a quick moment. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist, he came up out of the water, if you know the story, and, and the heavens open, and his father speaks an audible voice for people to hear, this is my son in whom I love, um, I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. So he has the affirmation of his father. He has not done one miracle yet. No ministry has started. All he has is the affirmation of his father. And immediately coming out of baptism and affirmation of his father, the first thing he goes to before he starts ministry is into the wilderness. He says he returns from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very 
hungry. Very hungry. Okay, so this word, word right here, wilderness, is eramos. It's the Greek word eramos. It is a word that is defined not only by wilderness or desert, but it also can mean quiet place, lonely place, desert place. This is that word that is there. And you're going to see the very first thing before he ever goes into ministry is he goes to a quiet place, lonely place, desert place, a wilderness that the Spirit of God leads him into. And we see that immediately as he goes into it, over the 40 days of him fasting and praying, that guess who else shows up? The devil shows up, right? Now, I have always heard this sermon preached in such a way that the wilderness was kind of a place of weakness. Jesus was at his weakest moment, and here comes the devil. How many of you have heard it preached that way? Jesus was at, he was weak, he was fasting, he was hungry, he was lonely, and that's where the enemy comes in. When we're fasting, when we're praying, when we're lonely, when we're hungry, when we're tired, here comes the enemy. But I have come to look at this verse very differently because I don't think the wilderness was a place of weakness. I actually believe that the wilderness was a place of strength, and because of his strength, that is why the enemy came to try to tempt him. Because we know that the wilderness was a place for him to commune with God. It was a place for him to, to fast and to pray. And so the wilderness wasn't a place of weakness. It was actually a place of strength. Jesus was led there because it was there he was going to receive the power that he needed to start his ministry. So here he is, full of power, full of strength, full of rest, Full of, now, was he physically tired? Was he hungry? Absolutely. But I think his spirit was more powerful than ever before. And here comes the enemy to interject in. And so here's the question that I want to ask us. If Jesus felt the need often to withdraw to be strengthened, shouldn't we? Withdrawing to be with his father, whether it's for 40 days or however long it was, and we'll see different times in here, was to get strength. I don't think it was a place of weakness. I think it was a place of strength. If you know the story, if you go and you continue to read in, uh, in Luke, the rest of Luke chapter 4, from that place on, he starts his ministry, and he goes full force into doing some incredible things. I don't think he could have done those things without the wilderness, though. I think the wilderness, the lonely place, the desert place, the quiet place was his place that he got the strength that allowed him to step into broken humanity to do what he does. Now, this wasn't just a one-time occurrence. We see this all throughout the life of Jesus, this kind of solitude pattern. Uh, and I want us to read Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. So this is uh, another biography. So we just read Luke. Now let's read another biography, another eyewitness news of Jesus. First day on the job, Mark chapter 1, same thing. You read the baptism of Jesus. You read the, uh, the wilderness of Jesus. And now here's his first day, just a different all, same, same day, different look, different person, different perspective. And so <clears throat> this is what happens in Mark chapter 1. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus. So he comes out of the wilderness full of power, and guess what happens? They bring all the sick and demon-possessed people. Come on, how many know? That was a good day. Good day, good day. Like, yes, let's go. Awesome. Uh, and so he came out ready to go. Sick, demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at his door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Now watch this next verse, 35. Everybody help me with this. Very early in the morning. Watch, we're going to see a practice here, a habit here. Now, now watch. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a... Same word, Eremos. One was wilderness. One is solitary place. Watch this. Jesus literally had just gotten done with 40 days of prayer and fasting. He had one day of ministry. And the very next day, where does he go back to? Right back to the same place that he just came out of for 40 days. You would think 40 days with a father, you should be good for at least a week, right? I got to power it, right? That's how most Christians are, Sunday to Sunday, right? Oh, too, too soon? Okay. I am rested and ready, I'm just telling you. It's ready. So, so we see this pattern. 
this practice, this habit, 40 days of fasting and prayer with his father, one day of ministry. It was a, it was a busy day. All the town came to him. But the next day, he made sure very early in the morning, which by the way, I, I don't want to get into the nuances of this stuff, but I will just say this. I believe there's a reason Jesus did it very early in the morning. One, because nobody really ever bothers you very early in the morning. Is it true? All of your text messages are usually not very early in the morning. I think Jesus knew when it was the most high traffic time. Now, we'll see there's some habits that Jesus did it all throughout the day, but I think there's something about very early in the morning. I don't want to get too hung up into that. I'll get more into that in just a little bit. But yet again, he goes off to the solitary place where he can. He can pray. And Simon and his companions go to look for him. So they wake up. You know, they slept in a little bit. And, uh, hey, guys, where's Jesus? I don't know. You seen Jesus? No. You seen Jesus? So now they're on this frantic search for Jesus because all these people probably want to talk to Jesus. And so they go looking for him and watch what happens. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. All right, let me, let me, let me put this in maybe today's vernacular of how they would be saying this. Jesus, where have you been? Yesterday was amazing. I mean, that was a really good way to kick off this thing. Everything's awesome. We got Time Magazine's calling. Everybody's trying to look for you. All these people are trying to find you. You're trending on Twitter. I mean, it's amazing. Where are you at? And here we go. Watch, watch, watch. And here's his response to them. And Jesus replied, hey, let's go somewhere else. What? Like, we got it going on right here. This is a good place. And he says, no, no, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. Watch this, watch this. Don't, you can't miss this part. Notice that when Jesus comes out of the solitary place, the quiet place, the desolate place, he is confirmed in his identity and his calling. He knows, watch this, he knows what to say yes to and he knows what to say no to. This is huge here, by the way, because this sounded like an incredible opportunity. All these people want you. I mean, everybody is waiting for you. And he goes, ah, no, let's keep moving. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense if you haven't been with my father, but I've been with my father, and he says it's time to go. So could it be that there are times in our lives where we're asking God for wisdom, God, give me direction, but we're not willing to go to the quiet place, the lonely place, the solitary place to hear his voice before we hear anybody else's voice? Because I think if he would have heard everybody else's voice before he heard his father's voice, he would have stayed. It would have only made sense for him to stay. But yet the father was saying, nope, it's time. We'll, we'll, we'll come back, but let's go. We need to keep moving along. And so here he is moving along to what God has called them. Now, you might say, well, that's easy to say, but Jesus didn't have a smartphone. He didn't have a demanding boss. Hey, Jesus didn't even have kids. So that's very easy to say about him getting alone in quiet place. There is no such thing as a quiet place in my home. How many you feel that way at times? There is no place like that whatsoever. How can I possibly have any time for solitude? Jesus does not know what my schedule and demands are. I beg to differ. Now, I do agree he didn't have kids and he didn't have a smartphone and didn't have a demanding boss, but I do think that there were demands that were put on Jesus that were just as much as ours. Because if you fast forward now to Mark chapter 6, we were just in Mark chapter 1, you go five chapters later in Mark chapter 6, I want you to see this. It says the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and they told him all that they had done and taught. And then Jesus says to them, so they just got done doing ministry. They just got done giving, you know, what they felt like God put on their heart to give to people. So they're coming back and sharing all these stories of what God is doing in their life. And Jesus says, hey, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and, and rest a while. By the way, none of those are curse words. Those are all really good. Let's go to a quiet place. Lonely place. There's that Eremos again. We're going to find some rest. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. Do any mothers in here feel like you can relate to Jesus right now? So many things to do. 
I didn't even eat. Everybody else gets to eat before I get to eat. Everybody else gets something before I... And so they are busy. If you're not eating, how many know you busy? You're on another level. These guys are so, so much giving of themselves. So Jesus says, hey, guys, we got we to step away from this for a little bit. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Okay, so they're just, let's just go find a place where we can just get, get alone. Here we go. This kind of principle of this begins to happen. You know, you, the busier Jesus got, the more intentional he was to get alone. The crazier his schedule was, the more he was withdrawing to a quiet place. And let's be honest, when our life is overloaded and hectic and crazy, the quiet place is usually the first thing that goes, not the first thing we go to. The quiet place is the first thing that goes. Because we say, well, God, I got stuff to do. God, you got all this stuff I got to do. God, you, you, know, you know my heart. God, I love you, but just help me, okay? And we just quickly jump right into the other things instead of going to the quiet place to maybe hear, should I be doing these things? And Jesus knew something with these men. He said, hey, guys, we got we to get away. We got to... We gotta we gotta step back a little bit. Let's let's go to a quiet place. Let's let's go get some some rest. And 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 I, I need everybody in here to hear me. Everybody in here and everybody that's online right now that you live a busy life. I want you to hear me very closely. The more busy you are, the more rest you need. I know that's like, well, duh. Yes, but our culture doesn't praise that. Our culture rewards people who burn the candle on both ends. You get compensated more if you can do more than the next guy. Is this not true? You, you get elevated. You get, I mean, if you can just do more, try more, and get more done, and, and, and you're willing to work all the hours that all these other guys say, no, I'm not going to work it, and you work all those hours, and do, yeah, you will be praised, rewarded, and celebrated in this world, if that's you, except by the people who are the closest to you. Because the people who are closest to you will suffer the most from that. So Jesus knew it was time to get away, and I want you to see what this next verse says. Watch this. So they're tired, they're worn out, they're not even, they haven't eaten. Verse 33 says, but many people recognized them and saw them leaving. People from many towns ran ahead along the shore. Now, can you imagine this? Because this wasn't like a, you know, hey, guys, let's hop in the bus. Let's take off. This was like they got in a boat. They're rowing on the boat, and people are watching them as they're rowing on the boat. And they're like, there's Jesus. Y'all can just run. We can beat them when they get to the other side. I've been to the Sea of Galilee. Literally, you can walk to the other side or run to the other side. And so can you imagine as they're rowing, they're looking over and seeing all of these people follow them. Can you just imagine how the disciples are like, not anymore, please, not anymore, please. Y'all just go home. Please go home. So here they are. Jesus sees the huge crowd. They get to the other side, and he sees a huge crowd as he steps from the boat. And what does he have? He has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I love the realism of this story. How many of you feel like this? Like you plan the vacation. You plan time off. And the boss called. The kids got sick. Something fell through and you were just like. <sighs> a friend called. Like, you, you had a long, exhausting day. It's 8 o'clock at night. All you want to do is just take a bath, get in your big old sweats, and lay in bed. And your friend calls. is like, I need to talk to you. And you're going, do I take it? 
Do I not? Don't look at anybody, but if that's ever happened to you. And y'all ever been there? Just shake your head so I can just know if anybody's been there. Okay, don't look. Just look straight and just shake your head and say, yes, that's been me. That's been me. That's been me. You're ready for bed and your two-year-old swallows a Lego and you got to go to the emergency room. Come on, anybody been there before? It's been an exhausting day. Kid comes out and he's like, I don't feel it. Throws up everywhere. Y'all been there? And you're like, I can't take it anymore. We had a pretty long day the other day and my wife had fixed one of my sons some crawfish etouffee. And I'm not going to say which one it is. Um, but he's walking across the living room and... Um, my wife said, do not hold that bowl without something because it's a super hot bowl. And he thought, he thought he was Superman. And trips and etouffee all over our white rug in the middle of the... And I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in my quiet place. This is no lie. I'm in my little quiet place, you know, prepping for this message and everything. And Lindsay comes out the door. You know, like, when you hear how the door opens, you know, like... You know what I'm talking about? Like... You know, like she opened it and closed it and closed it in a certain way. You're like, this is not going to be well. And so she came out and she was like, you will not believe. All I wanted to do was take a bath. And I went, what? Tell me. I am picking rice out of our white carpet. Can you find white rice in white carpet? She's like, I don't know. We're finding it. Y'all been there? Maybe not like that, but you've been there? Jesus knows how you feel. Jesus knows how you feel. So Jesus has been there. And yet the, the invitation still is for us to come find a quiet place. Another word for that is, is, is solitude. And so I want to give us two thoughts today. I'm shrinking it down. I'm only giving two now. Just today, maybe might be four tomorrow, but or, um, two today. When it comes to this idea of kind of the quiet place, the solitude place, the, the place that God wants to meet us, number one is this, if you want to write this down, in solitude, we slow down to hear the voice of God. So doing some research for this, there is a place that is in, let me, let me look to make sure, Minnesota, it's at the Orfield Laboratories. It is the quietest place on earth. It's a chamber that they created. And this chamber is, is not at zero decibels, decibels. It's at negative nine decibels. It is, it is so quiet that you, when you get into it, have the ability to hear your lungs breathing, heart beating, blood pumping, tendons creaking, and organs churning. Is that a little too quiet? Some of you are like, I hear my organs churning right now. Okay, so. So, so watch this. So NASA sends their astronauts to this place to get trained how to handle silence. Because, listen, Star Wars and Star Trek aren't true. There's no explosions in space. It's, it's sheer silence in space. And so they'll send them to this training to, to learn how to actually cope with silence. The longest that anyone has ever been able to sit in this room has been for 45 minutes. They said, literally, if you sit any longer in this room, you will begin to hear things that are not even there. So, so watch this, though. I think this is an incredible metaphor, though, because I think we live in such a loud, fast, noisy place that we can't even hear ourselves. I've had people tell me I can't slow down because when I slow down, my mind speeds up. But you know what that says? That there's something that you're trying to cope with 
via other ways so you never have to deal with it. Because here is the truth. When you sit in a place of silence and solitude, everything that is within you begins to come up out of you. So if it's fears, they rise to the top. If it's insecurities, they rise to the top. If it's shame and guilt over your past, it rises to the top. But it's in those places that God does his greatest work. It's in those places where you can finally hear what God often is trying to say. It's in the solitude that we can hear the voice of God. And the reality is that most of us will do just about anything to avoid being alone with our thoughts. That's a problem. That's a problem. How many of you remember, um, I think I'm old enough now, back in the day there used to be a thing called boredom. Now if you're born after 1995, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But there is this thing that used to be called boredom. And like, if, I'll give you for example, if you went on a road trip, like you were... You were either reading, coloring, or looking out the window into space. Okay? Like, there used to be a time you would sit in a fast food line at the fast food place and just stand there. And maybe if there was extroverts around you, they would try to strike up a conversation with you. And if you were an introvert, you'd be like, please stop talking to me. Y'all remember this? Like, there was a time where your parents would be like, go outside and go play. Play with what? I don't care. Just go play. When the lights come on outside, you come home. Y'all remember that? Okay, those were those days, okay? The, the, those that you stood there. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. I love, I love our digital age and technology that we have. I, I love it, okay? I don't have to no longer fold out the paper map. How many remember the road map that you'd have to fold out and figure out where you were and all that stuff? And then you could never fold it back the way it was, and so you just crambled it and you stuffed it in the thing. Y'all remember that? Okay, like, I'm so grateful that that doesn't happen. I'm so grateful that I can order something on Amazon. All Christmas shopping can be done on Amazon. I don't have to go into a store. I love it. It makes my heart feel so good. I, I, I love the fact that I can order food or I can find an answer within usually seconds if I go on Google and YouTube. So all those things I absolutely love. So, but watch this. But with every pro, there is a con. So I love technology and I love social media and I, I love the gift of what that brings to our culture. But with every pro, there also is a con and I think the con that we have when it comes is we've lost these boredom moments that at one time used to draw our attention to the Lord. Because now every time we have any kind of boredom or any kind of space or any kind of just lull, we pull it out. Go into an office a waiting room and count how many people are on this. You can now go to restaurants with family sitting down at the restaurant and count how many people in the family are on this. Go drive down the road and get to a stoplight and look over and see who is on this. All of these small little moments are now eaten by that carnivorous digital carnivore. And all those little small moments, I believe, could be moments that God wants to speak. But we don't have space for that anymore because now we've got to fill it. Because if I don't fill it, what am I going to do if I just sit here? Because I'm concerned if I sit here, what are the things I'm going to start thinking about? And the things that I'm thinking about usually don't lead to good places. But maybe God's trying to get us to a place to finally acknowledge that some of those things that we don't want to confront are the things he's really trying to confront. But our life is so loud, we can't, we can't hear them. 
So I did some research. The average iPhone user touches their phones 2,617 times a day. 2,617 times a day. This one was the most unnerving, though. Microsoft did a survey and found that 77% of young adults answered yes when they were asked this question. When nothing is occupying your attention is the first thing you reach for is your phone. 77% of young adults said absolutely. Pretty much the only place we can now be alone with our thoughts is the shower. And now, even now, technology is trying to get into there. John Mark Comer, the writer of this book, wrote this, and I, and I, man, I just loved this little line here. He says this, this new normal of hurried digital distraction is robbing us of the ability to be present. Present to God, present to other people, present to all that is good, beautiful, and true in our world, even present to our own souls. William Barclay said it this way, it may well be that the whole trouble in our lives is that we give God no opportunity to speak to us because we do not know how to be still and listen. We give God no time to recharge us with spiritual energy and strength because there is no time when we wait upon him. How can we shoulder life's burdens? Matthew 11, come to me all who carry heavy burdens. How can we shoulder heavy burdens, life's burdens, if we have no contact with him who is the Lord of all good life? God is calling us because in solitude we have the opportunity to hear his voice above every other voice. Number two, in solitude we are reminded who we are in Jesus. We're reminded who we are in Jesus. This is huge here. Now watch this. Scientists say that the last thing you think about before you go to bed and the first thing you think about when you wake up will shape your brain more than anything else. Watch. Scientists say the first thing you think about when you wake up, the last thing you think about when you go to bed will shape your brain more than anything else. What do you think is the first thing people go to when they wake up? All right, we're going to do a little honesty here. You don't have to physically raise your hands. And how many of that would represent you? And to think about the last thing that people go to bed with is softcore porn on Netflix. And, and the news channel that is reminding us of how broken our nation and our world is. Very few of us, after binge-watching the latest show or scrolling through Instagram or whatever, ever say something like this. I just feel so aware of God right now. You know what? I'm just so content with my life. I do not want anything else. I, I am so secure in how my body looks. I have great peace, joy, love, and hope in my heart now. Very often do we say those things. So what would it look like if the most radical thing that we did every morning, before we run to this, that we sat on the side of the bed and just took a minute, took in deep breaths, and just acknowledged that God gave me the gift of a day, and that his mercies are new every morning, and that God wants to speak to me and use me today, God wants to fill me today, God wants to encourage me today, and what if we just welcomed the day and contemplated on just the love of Christ for me and what he says over me, not anybody else? How do you think that day might go? How do you think that might even end a day if we were to end the day with gratitude for the day? Was it a hard day? Yes. Was there rough stuff? Yes. But what if at the end of the day I just began to list the things that I was very grateful for what God did do that day? And it might be the smallest of things, like I'm just glad that I have a house today. 
I don't know. I'm just challenging what we've been taught. And I think Jesus is doing that as well. As we look at his habits, Psalms 46, look what it says. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So, so, so he starts this psalms off with, this is, man, I've got some trouble in my life. I've got some hardships. I've got some pain. I've got some things in my life. God is my refuge. He is my strength. He is my help. He is all those things. And then you go down to verse 10, which is most of the verse that most of us know, is that he says, be still and know that I am God. Could it be that there is a correlation between when life is getting really, really hard, really, really demanding, and we need desperate help that we need to be still the most? Need to line these things up. To be still that we know that he is God. Could it be that you and I are not experiencing God's transforming work in our life, not because God is absent, not because God is not speaking, but because we are distracted? And What would it look like if we were to scroll back and say, God, let me, let me enter into this. Because I believe solitude is not just a place where we quiet everything else around us. I believe it's a place where we quiet this with this within us. Watch this, watch this. We go into solitude for a main reason. We don't retreat from the world. We retreat for the world. Let me explain that. I don't go into solitude because I'm trying to get away from all the craziness. I go into solitude so I can enter back into the craziness and have inner peace, presence, and, and non-anxious presence to walk into hard, difficult places. Jesus went into the wilderness so that he could step into broken humanity and go, here, I have something for you. He would step out and go into the wilderness because he would step back into where people were in their life and say, now I have things for you. He wasn't running from the pressure. He was getting out of the pressure so he could get refilled, so he could step back into the pressure for what God had him called to. So we don't retreat, we don't retreat, we don't go to solitude to just get away from all the craziness. Even though there's, there's an element of like, I gotta quiet everything, but we retreat so we can refill, so we can step back in. That was the purpose of the sabbatical that Lindsay and I just went on. We, we didn't retreat because we were burnt out and our marriage is on the rocks and we just didn't know if we were gonna really do this for the rest of our life. No, 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 that's not what we did. We retreated so we could refill, so we could get back in and go again. So silence and solitude is a place for us to, to get along with the Lord so we can get back into and re-enter into the world. What would it look like if before you pulled up to your job, I, I tried this today. So I normally drive to church, and I jam the worship music. I mean, if I'm pulling into Jennings or into our campus, most people are like, Pastor Josh is here. Uh, like, man, I'm loud. I'm worshiping and all that stuff. I tried something very different today. I drove here with nothing on, and it was the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> but it was not only eerily different, it was very encouraging. Because, God, what do you want to speak? What do you want to do? So, how can we follow Jesus and incorporate solitude into our busy, loud lives? I'm going to give you two practical things here. We're going to make this practical now. So, number one, we're going to talk about simple moments of solitude. Let's start here. Simple moments. This is when we make an intentional choice to be present to God to be present with God, to step away from distractions for a moment. Simple moments may include everything from sitting on your porch and enjoying coffee without your device. Simple moments may include sitting on a park bench and just watching your kids play. Simple moments may be you and a loved one, friend, just going on a walk, not with earbuds or anything, but just, just going and enjoying hot, humid Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. 
fall come, Jesus, fall come. Simple moments may be what are called breath prayers. Breath prayers, you could do breath prayers anywhere, but maybe a good start would be when you wake up in the morning, find a psalm that you love. Psalms 23. You breathe in, the Lord is my shepherd. You breathe out, I shall not want. Breathe in, Lord, you are good. You breathe out, you're faithful to the end. You breathe in, God, I belong to you. You breathe out, you are in control. Like, what would it be like just in the moments of high stress if we just stopped for a moment? just kind of took that in for a moment. God, let me just, let me take this in and find a scripture, multiple scriptures. Just begin to speak those things over your own soul. So those are simple moments. Let me give you the last one. These are set moments, set times of solitude. So we've got the simple ones where we can just carve little moments here for God to speak to us. And then there are set times. So here's, here's three ways you can set times. Number one, you need to pick a place. Pick a place. So let me show y'all my place. This doesn't have to be your place, but this is, this is my place. Outside, I have, we, we now had a, got a hammock for sabbatical because you can't do a sabbatical without a hammock. Come on, somebody. So there's, we got a hammock and I got a little chair and this is it. This is for me. This is, this is my go-to. And it may look different for you. It may be a closet for you. It may be a, a car, maybe a porch. You may go to a park. It doesn't matter, but I would encourage you to find a place. Just find a place. Jesus, Jesus always seemed to have this go-to place, whether it was on a mountain or a place that he could just find. He just always went there. So you gotta pick a place. Secondly, you need to pick a time. As I shared earlier, I think oftentimes, Earlier mornings are better, but they don't have to be. Maybe that doesn't work for your schedule. Maybe late at night is better for you. Maybe based off of you, if you sleep in or get up early, you've got to figure out. Maybe, maybe lunchtime is the only time that you have. It just doesn't matter, but you need to pick a time. And you need to fight for it. You need to carve it out. The reason why I do early in the mornings is because I know any time after about 7.30, not only do I have kids that I have to tend to and all those other things, but, but that's when text messages come and that's when phone calls come. And so I, I know I've got to beat that. It's like when you know that you've got to drive to Lafayette and you figure out what time you need to go because you don't want to get in traffic. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you know, okay, I need to hurry up and get there. I'm not going at 5. So I'm leaving, I'm leaving at 3. It's like that. Just find the times that you know. And then last one is pick a plan. There's no right plan. There's no wrong plan. It could be uh, a Bible reading plan. It could be, um, which by the way, we've tried to make this very simple for you as well. We have our own plan that we've created. Our daily devos, you can subscribe to this. If you haven't subscribed to this, you can. It's uh, all you do is text daily devos to 94,000. And every morning at 7 a.m., you'll get one of our devos. Right now, we're going through 21 days of prayer. So what an incredible opportunity to start creating a habit. If you've never created this habit, this is a perfect time to start creating this habit. Go and get the daily devos, and you can watch them, and then just sit in that for a moment and see if God has anything that he wants to speak to you. You can journal, whatever it looks like for you. I would just say this, and this is what I want to end and encourage you with. Start with where you're at, not with where you want to be. So listen, don't be like, tomorrow, two hours with the Lord, and you can't even do two minutes. Don't do that. Don't do that. Like, start with two. Start with two minutes. Work your way to ten. Don't start with where you want to be. Start with where you're at. And if you're a mom and it's crazy schedule, like, just figure out what that is for you. Start with where you're at. No condemnation. There's no guilt. Jesus isn't going to be like, oh, it was only 26 minutes. It should have been 30. Like, he's not going to do that. God just invites us. 
invites us into this. I want to end with one last quote. It's by Henry Nouwen. And he says, Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and to listen to him. So, we're going to practice this right here, right now. I want you to close your eyes. Not because it's super spiritual, but because it just allows us to not focus on anything around us. And I want to invite you just for a few moments into silence and solitude. Many for you, maybe this week was just a really, really hectic week. Maybe it was a great week. Maybe some of you walked into this place and you're, you're carrying some heavy burdens. Maybe you're anxious about something to come that's, that's upcoming in the next week or months. I understand how hard this can be and it can make people uncomfortable. But I believe that God can do in two minutes what I can't do in 35 minutes of preaching. say this after me. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Anybody wondering when this was going to hurry up and be over? <laughs> you know, um, I want to ask this question. And if, if it's nobody, it's, it's all good. But I want to learn to start making room for this more. Did anybody feel like you had 
God gave you a word and it wasn't just for you, but it was for our church? If that was you, would you, would you just raise your hand if that's you? Would any of you that raised your hand, would you be willing to come share it? If you can, stand up and come over here. If not, anybody? Come on, yeah. Let me see that, if you don't mind. This is the beauty of what happens when we wait on the Lord. Um, I just want to say that um, I feel that the Holy that the Holy Spirit wants to move in everybody here, and that quiet moment is what we need for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to us. And if we don't take time to do that, we'll never have it. So we got to make time in our lives for him so that he can speak to us. Amen. Amen. How many receive that? Receive that. Anybody else? Come on, Tim. Um, I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me that to stop running, to stop avoiding, to stop hiding, that we need to allow him into us and to, to not run from it. You know, it, it can get scary whenever we make time because then we have to face our demons, we have to face ourselves and our faults. But the Holy Spirit was given to us so that we don't have to fight that. He fights that for us. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Come on, we see that. I will, I will add to that. Um, anytime God brings conviction, which some of you may be in here, God started convicting you of some things. It's not just to reveal but it's to heal he is a good surgeon who cuts not to hurt but cuts to heal so anytime the Holy Spirit is, is, is doing this on you don't ignore it he's, he's trying to help so it might be go say you're sorry and you're like that's the devil that's the devil I don't think it is. Y'all with me? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. God, these are your sheep. And you are the good shepherd. thank you that you desire to speak to us. I pray that there would be this longing in our souls to hear your voice over everyone else. And God, I commit as the pastor of this church to create space for you to do what you want to do. God, we want to be led by you. We want to be filled with you. We want this church to honor you in all that it does. So God, Sundays are not just opportunities to come and hear a couple songs and hear a word and walk out this place unchanged. God, may revival start in this room in the hearts of your people and families. And may it spread to schools and workplaces and homes and neighborhoods. God, we're just thankful for what you're doing, what you're speaking. We surrender it to you. With no one looking around, if you're here in this room, and you felt that the Holy Spirit was either calling you home, you've been, you've been on the run 
And it's been the, the love and the grace of God that is calling you back. Or if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, and you walked into here and you've been living life for yourself, and you know God is just, he's, he's calling you home, he's calling you into his family for you to surrender your life. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand up all across this place and say, that, Pastor Josh, that's me, that's me. Anybody else back there in the back? Anybody else that's here? Okay, over here on the left. Three over here. Thank you. If you just raise your hand, would you just lift both hands right now where you are? This is, we're, we're making this acknowledgement before the Lord, before these people here, and we want to just pray with you. Would you just lift your hands right there, both, both hands right before the Lord? You just say this, God, today, I surrender my life. I come to you. I say yes to the invitation. Thank you for the gift of Jesus that lived a life I couldn't live. You died a death that my sins put you on, but you love me enough to do that for me. You rose again to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. I come to you as your son or daughter I declare you as Lord of my life. Have your way in my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.